What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we got to talk about some rule changes that are likely to be coming our way very, very soon in the sport that is college football. It's going to change the way we watch it. It's going to change the way we talk about it. I also want to get into my pre-spring top 25 taking a look at some of the changes that have been made to staffs some of the transfer portal additions and what we are hoping to see in these 15 spring practices from these top 25 teams five or six in particular but first we got to talk about the nfl combine because as you know there's nothing more exciting to me in the nfl draft well process than the nfl combine i really love The meat market, 300 plus athletes that are at the peak of their physical prowess under one Lucas oil roof running in their skivvies. Man, I haven't been that excited about something since like the opening last June. So I get it twice a year, right? The opening is basically the high school version of the NFL combine. But after this weekend, where some of the guys we thought were going to perform, perform well, and some of the guys that we didn't really know about got to show that they are absolute physical freaks And yet still, we're still talking about Bryce Young and how much that dude weighs. All right. So I want to start there. The man is five foot 10 and an eighth. And he weighed in at 204 pounds. Right now. I think it's interesting that many people were relating one Bryce Young and his ability to Kyler Murray. But I think when you look at it on screen, that is what you're talking about. You're talking about a dude that can get himself out of trouble, who can Houdini out of a sack and turn that into a first down or even a touchdown. And it's not like he was just doing this against bad football teams. He was doing this against everybody in the national championship game, 2021. I thought there 2022 going for, for the 2021 season. I thought that this dude was going to be dead to rights, like at least four times in the process of that game. And he managed to escape from some of the best defenders in the sport, future NFL stars themselves. And he demonstrated that he can absolutely be a guy that runs your offense and the offense runs through at Alabama. The way that I tend to think about this is quiet as it was kept, that was the worst receiver core that we've seen at Alabama basically since 2014. And you got to go back to when Amari Cooper was catching 100 passes, the only guy catching passes. And the reason I can say that is because Jameer Gibbs not only led that team in rushing as a tailback, but in receiving yards as a tailback, which is another way of saying Bryce Young was making it happen with Jameer Gibbs and whomever else he could find that was open. Sometimes that was Cameron Latou, sometimes that was Jermaine Burton, but it wasn't the kind of production that we're used to seeing from an Alabama wide receiving core. That said, I don't think the dude's going to play football at 204 pounds when he gets to the NFL. I have a real problem with guys beefing up for the purposes of weighing in on a scale because that's not going to translate to a great football player. You're really trying to ask that guy to play the same kind of football he played at Alabama. And to do that, height and weight matter only so much for me because are you special or are you not special? This is the part of the conversation that gets into excellence. And we'll continue to talk about excellence and my ongoing fascination with it as we do this. But another way of looking at this is say he didn't throw at the combine, right? Because he didn't need to. Now he said he's going to throw at Alabama's pro day, but that's another way of saying you're going to do what Nick Saban asked you to do. And if Nick Nick Saban asked you to throw at pro day, you're going to do that because sticking with the program, sticking with the process is what you do 
as an Alabama football player. As a matter of fact, Devontae Smith said it best. How did he come out so ready to play at Philadelphia and help them reach a Super Bowl in just like his second year in the league? I went to Alabama. That's the answer to a lot of these questions. Now, on top of not throwing, we got to see another guy not perform, and I don't think it hurt his draft stock at all. I should say, I should back up. Jackson Smith Majiga, RJ, slow down. Jackson Smith and Jigba did perform at the combine. He just didn't run the 40-yard dash at the combine. And I made it very clear that I really enjoy watching dudes run the 40-yard dash because inevitably I'm going to see some super freak speed or I'm going to see a big man that is not supposed to be moving that fast. More on that in a minute. But Jackson Smith and Jigma was already, for me, the best wide receiver in this draft and is close to a can't-miss prospect at wide receiver in this draft that we've seen. I mean, I want to say it at least since Devontae Smith, right? So probably the last couple of years, he's right up there. But a lot of this is on the production that he had in 21. And the reason that people are not as high on him as they were going into the 22 season is because he didn't really play, right? He pulled that hamstring early and it was touch and go. And then he was basically shut down for the rest of Ohio State's year. You have to wonder sometimes what would have happened if he would have been able to play in that game against Georgia, if Marvin Harrison Jr. and C.J. Stroud would have had his help. Does it come down to a missed field goal? We'll never know. But he did show quickness and speed in the quickness and speed drills. His three-cone drill is the fastest that we had seen from a receiver in a decade. Got to go back to 2013 for a guy that was running as fast as Jackson Smith and Jigba was with a really solid three-cone drill. And then we're talking about his 20-yard shuttle time being one of the fastest that we had seen over the last couple of years. Matter of fact, we're talking about a guy that has demonstrated change of direction as a wide receiver and did a lot of great work in the slot. Now, to that point, there had been some folks that said he's going to be good as a slot receiver and you know could be the best slot receiver in the NFL in a couple of years' time, to which Smith and Jigba has said, no, I appreciate that y'all think that I'm good in the slot, but I'm good wherever I line up, whether that's outside or inside. And I think he needs to continue to say that out loud because most of the work that he did in destruction of defenses was from the slot, which means that he benefited from the mismatch. He had the safety. He had the linebacker. He had the third best cornerback. You can do a lot of damage when you are consistently lining up against not just the dude that you're better than, but not the best pass defender on the field and you know like to that end KJ Hill was doing a lot of work for Ohio State that spot didn't necessarily translate to the NFL Paris Campbell same way Terry McLaurin's first dude that I can remember who went to Ohio State and made that slot receiver transition into a dominant receiver big play threat at the NFL level I think he still needs to push that but I also think that it's very important not to overlook what his peers have had to say about him And this is why I believe that he is the best wide receiver in this draft class. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson will tell anybody that would listen in 21, this is the best wide receiver in our room. And that is as both of those guys, first round draft picks, both of those guys had thousand yard receiving seasons as rookies. And one of those guys, Garrett Wilson, is offensive rookie of the year on the Jets. 
Now, I don't want to turn this into, you know, what the hell are the Jets, but you get my point there, all right? It's not easy. And yet and still, they would tell you Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the best guy that Brian Hartline has ever produced. And then we're probably going to see the next guy that Brian Hartline has ever produced in Marvin Harrison Jr. because he's probably going to end up being a better draft prospect than Jackson Smith and Jigba, which is a wild sentence to utter, but it is true. I think that his ability to be productive and be a hundred catch receiver is through the roof, right? It's just about where he goes and how they choose to deploy him. Now, the guy that was basically blowing up the combine is not a receiver, not a pass rusher, certainly not the offensive lineman that should be getting their due. It is a quarterback in Anthony Richardson. Now, we talked a bunch about Anthony Richardson going into the NFL combine about what he could show because the tools were there. You could see what kind of an athlete this man was. Matter of fact, in high school, he used to go around calling himself Cam Jackson, which is a mashup of Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton. And you could see it as to why at six foot four, 240 plus pounds, he ran a 4.43 40 yard dash. Now that is absolutely moving. It's, it's flying. But to do that at his size is otherworldly. And for a quarterback to show that sort of speed, to get that laser time at the combine is not easy. It's a reason as to why, like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, they don't need to run a 40 because we all know they're fast. We would still like to know how fast, right? Anthony Richardson answered that question. He also, I think, improved his draft prospects because I think somebody's going to see all these tools he has and they're going to want to try to bring him in and see what they can't do with it. So. We're still talking about a guy that could go in the first round, probably in the first 20 picks, if not the top 10 picks, depending on how the draft shows out and whether or not somebody else trades up to the top to go get a quarterback, say Indianapolis, to go get a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young. But I'm also looking at this going, did, did he make a larger leap than anybody slid? And I think so. Like, I was not overwhelmed by this NFL combine. It just allowed me more confirmation bias, which is to say that if you already believe somebody was good, they showed you, once again, your right to believe they're good. I'm not sure that Will Le Levis's draft prospects were worse because he participated in the combine. I just think that Anthony Richardson showed that he's a better athlete, not necessarily a better quarterback. It feels like it's a flavor test here. Do you like Pepsi or do you like Coke, right? You can go with one or the other. I'm going to go with Anthony Richardson because I just like more of what I see. But if you don't like what you see, you also are into a conversation about whether or not these statistics that he's able to throw up, these times, these measurements are worth a damn. And the reason I bring that up is because it's true. We need to talk about this, all right? Anthony Richardson completed just 53.8% of his passes in 2022. He threw for 2,549 yards, 17 pass TDs against nine picks. That is not what you would expect from a first-round quarterback as a stat line. But then I took a look at this and said, what did he do against the ranked opponents, right? As many as Florida faced. So I'm going to go through this basically from the last game he played to the first one he get, get, played in 2022. So he's 9-27 for 198 against Florida State. He's 18 of 37 for 271 against Georgia, which I think 
might have been one of his best games, well, one of his two best games as far as I'm concerned because I think playing ranked opponents in the SEC matters that much more. He was 24 of 44 for 453 against Tennessee, but Tennessee had one of the worst secondaries, worst pass defenses in the SEC. So I'm not sure that I can really give him as much credit for that. And then we're talking about 14 to 35 for 143 against Kentucky, who had a pretty doggone good defense. 17 of 24 for 168 against Utah, who won the Pac-12 championship, right? And Florida won that game. But Florida also lost to Oregon State in a bowl game. Now, Anthony Richardson didn't play in that game, but you get my point here. So the argument might come down to, do you think that Anthony Richardson is a winner? Well, depends on how you want to view it. Because with him as their starting quarterback, they were 6-5. and five. Without him, they were 6-6. Six and six. And Oregon State became a better football team the longer they kept playing football. And they were just as close to beating up a USC team and really unseating what we thought was going to be a coronation for SC before Utah did. So I think when you're also looking at that, it, it doesn't bode well for Anthony Richardson that Texas A&M, 5-7 last year, beat Florida 41-24. And it certainly does not bode well for Anthony Richardson that he's quarterback at a time when Vanderbilt became a hissable villain, beating Florida 31-24. I'm not that old, and Vanderbilt ain't been that good for a very long time. And you might even add, they still ain't that good. Now, Clark Lee's certainly got that thing trending in the right direction. I believe they got their first SEC win in years this year. But you don't want to be a quarterback that was on the losing end of that as you're trying to convince other teams to draft you as a project. That's the problem here. Anybody that drafts Anthony Richardson right now is going to have to be very honest with themselves as a franchise and with him as a player. He needs to sit on a bench for a year. You have to teach him how to play quarterback at this level so it can slow down and he can be accurate with the football. Because if his accuracy improves from, say, 53.8% completion in college to something like 65 or 66 in the NFL, we're talking about a guy that can put you into divisional rounds, can give you an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. You just got to take your time with him. And you have to know that you are drafting his ability. You are not drafting his floor. His ceiling is through the roof. His floor can get you fired. Who is in a position to make that sort of pick in the first round? Those are the sort of franchises that are really giving Anthony Richardson their eye. Those were my takeaways from the NFL Combine. I really enjoyed it. I enjoy talking about it. We'll continue to talk about how guys perform at their various pro days as we lead up to the April NFL draft. But it also underscores just how important the NFL is to our sport, college football right? Even as a college football analyst doing a college football show, I can't escape talking about the NFL. It's gonna happen. It will happen repeatedly. And it's not because I love talking about the NFL doing a college football show. It's because I love talking about college football in conversation with the NFL. And apparently, so does the NCAA, and more importantly, its member institutions, because we have news that the NCAA Football Rules Committee officially recommended the adoption of three rule changes, which will need to be approved by the Playing Rules Oversight Panel in April, but we expect those things to go through. So let's go through those three rules, and then let's talk about what those things mean. The first one is a running clock after first downs, like in the NFL, 
except for the last two minutes of each half. So I'm getting a little bit ahead, but I need you to understand. This is going to bring the number of plays in a game down from about 180 to about 155. Now, I did the math on the piece of an, uh, on a piece of legal pad, right? Notebook paper. So we're talking about losing about 25 plays per game times 12 games. That means we're getting rid of the equivalent of 1.67 games that the players will play so that they can be preserved for later, right? Playing 12 games a year. I'm going to really un- unpack how that translates to the sports you're going to watch. But number two on the list is banning the use of consecutive timeouts by a team, which I think is a great rule. You ought to just know what you're doing coming out. I don't think you should be allowed to get a look at somebody's defense or offensive set and then call a timeout. It screws it for you and me as fans. It might work for them as a strategist, but this game is on television because we're watching it, not because you're playing it. I love that you're playing it, but you need to be respectful of the hundreds of millions of people that are watching the sport too, right? Now, the third one is carrying over a foul to the second and fourth quarter rather than playing it untimed down. This is important when we talk about the NFL in particular because that game essentially ended on a defensive penalty, right? In the Super Bowl, excuse me. The Super Bowl essentially ended on a penalty, right? A defensive penalty. Nobody likes that, but it is a thing that can happen. Uh, Over in baseball, they're still getting used to this, that a guy can get called out on strikes because he took too long to either get into the box or a pitcher took too long to rock and fire. Love that rule, by the way, because I'm a catcher on my knees. You got the sign. I don't need you to go through your five-minute ritual. I need you to get on the rubber and rock and fire, all right? That's what you need to do. As long as we're getting that in football, I'm going to be happy about it. So that gets me to what else I'm happy about and what these rules mean for the sport of college football. So as I mentioned, 180 plays a game in the sport means you're looking at about 90 snaps, probably 75 to 80 snaps for each offense which means that we get a lot of high-scoring ball games, right? And because you can stop the clock after a first down, you get that real time back and you get that clock time back too, which is to say the game that was once three hours and 30 minutes is now going to be reduced to three hours about, right? The NFL averages about three hours and 10 minutes. So a college football game lasts that much longer than an NFL game. That also is going to affect you know, you and I watching the games, because I'm thinking about this from the standpoint of you, right? Because rule changes matter for the sport and how we understand it, but it also matters as to how we consume it. So there's a big difference when you are RJ Young on a Saturday watching all the football and knowing that this game is not just going to end when it's supposed to end, but that I don't need to channel surf as much as I need to. Right. Or as I would need to if there was a longer game, because there's going to be more pauses, going to be more breaks. We're going to have these lulls where I'm going to go from one network to another network. Maybe you're able to keep me on that network for longer because the game is moving right along, snapping. You know that I cover the USFL. One of the things that is important about that sport is keeping the game times manageable. You want something that's under three hours. You want to keep the game moving, not because you're trying to perhaps protect the integrity of the three-hour window, but protect the integrity of the fan who is here to watch football being played, not procedure. We're not here to watch you spot a first down. We're not here to watch you call back-to-back timeouts. We're here to guy see a guy throw a football over them mountains, right? And that's what the game is tending toward. 
looking more like the NFL, which is a more entertaining product than college football is right now when we're talking about how long the game goes, all right? I also think it's very important to point this out from a safety standpoint, and this is my big one here. We're going to play more games come 2024. There's no getting around that. We've been playing 12-game seasons since 2006, which in a sport that's been lasting more than 150 years is not a long amount of time, and yet we are seeing how 12 games became 13 in a conference championship, became 14 if you played in a conference championship in a bowl game. And now, if you play in a national championship game, you're playing at least 15 games in most respects. I mean, Notre Dame and its independence being what it is, right? They'll play one less game because they don't have to play in a conference championship game, but there's still more football. So knowing that we're going to play more football because of the expansion of the playoff in 2024, we're looking at football teams playing anywhere from 12, if you're god-awful and go 0-12, or 13, or even between 14 and 17 is a more realistic number, right? Because you'll play your conference championship and you might play the first round of the playoffs. But if you make the national championship game, and let's say you don't get a bye, you're looking at an NFL regular season. You're going to play the same amount of games as the NFL. So it would make sense that the sport adopts rules that the NFL already has in place to better protect its product and its players. Because again, Fewer snaps means fewer contacts, means fewer tackles, means fewer hits, means guys are more likely to remain healthy and uninjured, means we're going to account for them having to play more football, okay? This game is inherently dangerous, and if we do not take that into account with every decision we make, it's going to get worse. We don't need that, especially as we're asking and have received more football on the calendar. We have to do our part with the rules to make sure that we're taking care of each and every player for the length of their careers. So I think that's all positive. I think that's a good thing. All right. From those rule changes to some changes in my preseason top 25. All right. So off the rip, I want to lay this out here. It's like, why do we need a pre-spring top 25? Same reason we need a post-spring top 25. There's going to be some moving and shaking. We're going to learn some things about football teams that we didn't know, say, in January. That we now know in March that we're going to learn again or we're going to revise in May. So I'm taking a look at how these things go from transfer portal additions to staff changes to recruit signings to what the program needs to shore up or show in its 15 practices in spring game. The first three feel locked in, right? Georgia is the two-time defending national champion. We're really just talking about Carson Beck and Mike Bobo getting on the same page, or maybe Brock Vandergriff or Gunnar Stockton can beat out Carson Beck, but the word from Athens is it's Carson Beck's job to lose, and Mike Bobo, I think, is a much bigger deal here, but put it this way. The offensive coordinator and the quarterback on the two national championship winning teams at Georgia are both gone you got to find a way to overcome Todd Munkin and Stetson Bennett going to the NFL. Okay, so Michigan, same thing as last year. Just be healthy. I mean, I know that that's not a sexy thing to say, but Blake Corum is going to be that dude, we hope, coming back. And perhaps we'll see him, but I doubt it, right, during this spring, doing anything other than standing there because you know what he can do. You know what he is capable of. You know what Donovan Edwards is capable of. You know what J.J. McCarthy is capable of. You just need to shore up the rest of your defense, which means finding who are the guys that are going to replace Yabi Oki and Mike Morris, who were your two leading sack leaders. I mean, Mike Morris also 
led them in tackles for loss with 11 last year too. So maybe Jalen Hurl or Braden McGregor or Derek Moore are guys that show that they're able to play those edge positions. And then Ohio State, it's about a quarterback derby, but I don't really think it's a quarterback derby. I think Kyle McCord is going to win this job. And I think if it was up to Ryan Day, he would like to do this sooner rather than later because then you have a guy that everybody can build around and you can put aside who the quarterback is. You can stop splitting reps and you can start trying to make your charge back toward, well, beating Michigan and then perhaps a Big Ten championship and then perhaps playing in the college football playoff. I do a good job of being out in front on some of this stuff, but I don't do a good enough job repeating it. So I'm just going to do it. Kyle McCord played on three state championship football teams with Marvin Harrison Jr. at St. Joe's Prep in Philly. They have been basically playing football together for nearly a decade. I don't see how you would not put the five-star quarterback and the five-star receiver together to play what will be their only season to play college football together at Ohio State. Together. That's not disrespect to Devin Brown. That is to say that they have something that doesn't really happen in our sport. Two guys that have managed to keep their kinship, stay on the team, and keep their talent intact, that have an opportunity to show that nationally. I'm very excited about that, but you're going to be watching the defensive line if you're an Ohio State fan. JT Tuimolo'al, Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams, those are the guys you need to step up and show something. That defense has to demonstrate it can keep a lid on other offenses if they want to have an opportunity to win a national championship. Number four on that list is where it starts to get interesting, right? I have a thing about excellence versus try hard because I'm a try hard. And I think excellence is really, really cool to look at, but it is not demonstrative of how the rest of us live. Try hard is how the rest of us live, right? We hustle, we get after it. That four spot, the dunker spot, as I've called it, is about try hard, right? We know that Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan are on another plane, and we have to make peace with that. Now, USC could close the gap there, and that's why they're at four. You're returning the Heisman winner in Caleb Williams. I know they lost Jordan Addison to the NFL draft, but Zachariah Branch is an outstanding true freshman that could turn into a deep threat for Caleb Williams. He's already got that kinship with Mario Williams that goes back to Oklahoma days. If he stays healthy, they're going to put up 45 a game. For USC, it's about the defense, all right? I'm familiar with Alex Grinch's scheme. I got to know it very, very well while he was at Oklahoma. And the same deficiencies are the deficiencies of the defense. It's just something he's learned to live with, and you can't have it all, so he's decided to double down. We're going to try to get tackles for loss. We're going to try to get sacks. We're going to try to force turnovers. The problem with that sort of philosophy is turnovers is luck, okay? Nobody can count on getting takeaways in a game. Even if you can demonstrate that getting these many takeaways equates to winning, you have to account for perhaps all the other variables that go around that, which is to say luck comes from the folks that are trying hard, right? I mean, you put yourself in a position to be lucky, and I can get there because that's what USC did all last year. We kept going, how are they winning football games, giving up four and 500 yards of offense? Well, they'll have three or four takeaways. Somebody will throw them the football. Some, they'll pick it up off the ground. You teach guys to punch. You teach guys to tackle with the intent of getting the football. You teach guys to jump routes, not to hit guys. You go for the ball, Georgievich. It's not what we do anymore. That's an all the right moves in reference. Somebody got that. I appreciate it. So number five on there is Tennessee for me. It's about Joe Milton versus Nico. 
E.A. Malave. And I think it's going to be Joe Milton for the same reasons that I think it's going to be Quinn Ewers, but I'm getting ahead of myself there. Fix the defense, right? I mean, Tennessee's got an Alabama problem. USC's got a, uh, excuse me, Tennessee's got an Oklahoma problem. USC's got an Oklahoma problem, which is say, score a bunch, can you stop anybody? Because this sport is about stopping people. I love scoring. I really do. But if you can't stop nobody, you're not going to win no national championship, let alone your conference championship. All right, a couple others that I wanted to touch on as we're getting through this. Number seven, Penn State. My goodness, it feels like James Franklin's got something. Now, I went and looked this up, and I don't believe that Penn State has beaten Ohio State and Michigan the same year since 2008. They, they, they managed to, to do something, but not both. And that's what it's going to take to play in the Big Ten Championship. You got to get past both of them. You can't just beat Michigan or just beat Ohio State even when they had Ohio State dead to rights because JT2 Molau had a Thanos game, <laughs> two picks, CD plot. Like, it was stupid. Only that dude could do that to wreck what was an outstanding game for Penn State. But Penn State also showed with Sean Clifford they can win a Rose Bowl. They're going to get Katron Allen and Nick Singleton back between those guys. 1,800 yards rushing. Can Drew Allar be the guy that we think he is, which I think is a more talented quarterback than Sean Clifford? Now can he lead the football team? You've seen him throw it. I've seen him throw it. It looks real good coming out of his hands. It's a rifle. And he is large enough to make things happen on the go and on the move. I expect we'll see some really cool formations and plays for one Drew Aller, which might end up just being some version of quarterback power, quarterback counter. I'm also very interested to see what Florida State does at that eight spot because I think that they're going to be loaded for Bear in the ACC. It's going to be them, I think, challenging Florida, uh, Florida State challenging Clemson, I should say, for an ACC title game, which means that I expect big things from Clemson. Again, getting ahead of myself. Real quick, Utah's Utah. It feels like this is going to sound like shade, but I'm going to cover the Notre Dame here too. Notre Dame feels like Utah. You don't really have a deep threat, not on the outside. You don't really like to throw the football all over the yard, and you would much rather ground and pound people. Seems to work for Utah. Doesn't seem to work as well as, well as it should at a place like Notre Dame. But Utah's able to win a Pac-12 championship with it, which is another way of saying Notre Dame. Maybe join a conference. Maybe you win some ACC titles. Anyway, number 10, Clemson. I'm going to spend a little time here because I didn't know what to think about Clemson even after the Orange Bowl. Because they won games that I didn't think they were capable of winning in the more middle of a quarterback derby that seemed to keep going on through November. Cade Klubnick comes out the guy. All right. And then you get beat by Tennessee with Joe Milton, who was put on the bench for Hendon Hooker. Okay. Now you're going into 2023 and you fire Brandon Streeter, who has been basically a Clemson lifer. But you brought in Garrett Riley. And if nothing else, the Riley boys can coach some football. They coach some offense football. They will find a way. Garrett Riley took the second string quarterback at Texas Christian and turned him into a Heisman finalist and coached him to a college football playoff and national championship appearance. Okay? If you're going to put a bunch of stock into a coordinator this season, you could do a whole hell of a lot worse 
than picking Garrett Riley because Dabo Sweeney said, I need that guy. And I think if he can create the magic with Cade Klubnick, who is a more talented football player than Max Duggan, that he did with Max Duggan, Clemson's going to be a force offensively. And that's what needs to happen, right? Because Wes Goodwin seems to have a really good beat on what that defense is supposed to do and how they're supposed to get it done. It's the offense that was lacking. And they wanted DJ Uyunglele to figure it out. He just couldn't do it. Now I think between Kate Klubnik and Garrett Riley, you identify a couple of deep threats to help him out. You're back in business. Now, Bo Collins and Adam Randall combined 32 catches in 2022. They ain't going to get it done. Noble Johnson comes in as a talented true freshman, but they still need to find more or less their best big threat since Justin Ross. And it's been some time since Justin Ross played at one Clemson. All right. I kind of want to skip ahead here just a little bit and get all the way down into these last 20 spots, all right? Because I think that's where we're going to get a lot of moving and shaking. So at number 20, you can see I have Colorado there. And there's good reason as to why I have Colorado there. They got Coach Prime. Okay. The longer that I do this job, the longer that I talk about college football, the more I have to remind people why I talk about the sport and how I talk about the sport. My sport, your sport, this sport, superstars are our head coaches. They are our head coaches because they are the stable force in the program. Even the best college football player will only be at that program for five years. And most times if he's good, he'll play for three. It is going to be transient. So where do you put your faith? in who's going to keep that program stable, head coach. So if you are a head coach who has demonstrated you're a winner, I'm going to believe in you. That is what Coach Prime did at Jackson State. He took over a program that wasn't even any good by SWAC standards and turned it into a championship caliber program. At Colorado, he is able to take his attitude, his personality, and lay it over what is a vanilla program until he got there. A program that did not have any identity except to say, we lose. I think with his arrival, his assistants, Shador Sanders, Travis Hunter, and then you're able to add Cormani McClain, flipping him from Miami, and add Dylan Edwards, flipping him from Notre Dame, depending on what you want to think about Dylan Edwards, but he's, he's running back there. He's going to be there. For Colorado, the question for me is, are you going to demonstrate you got an offensive line and a defensive line that can challenge in the Pac-12? And I'm not saying you can go six and six, although you should throw a party to Colorado and you go six and six. I'm saying, can you win that rivalry game against Utah at the end? Can you beat USC when you have the home field advantage at Folsom where I expect a, a sellout? Will you show that you can beat up on the national runner-up in Texas Christian open the season? These are all really good questions. And I think. There's a reason why I have Texas Christian there at 14 as opposed to at 20, right? I think that right now Texas Christian is in better position than Colorado. But it also drags me into this discussion. Nobody lost more than Texas Christian off, this, off their 2022 season, right? Lose starting quarterback, offense coordinator, best wide receiver threat, best running back, and some linchpins on the defense, okay? They're basically rebuilding the way that Colorado is building. Sonny Dykes versus Deion Sanders. If Sonny Dykes can turn 5-7 and seven Texas Christian into a national title runner-up, why would you doubt that Deion Sanders can turn Colorado into something similar? All right? 
Now, I know the Texas Christian is going to blow up a lot of discussions, but that's the point, right? That's the point. If we're going to do this in the spring, this is how we got to talk about it. Number 21, I got Oklahoma here. It's about putting a lid on the defense, man. Look, Oklahoma was absolutely awful defensively in 2022. And there's no amount of money that I was willing to let you bet against Oklahoma being good on defense in 2022. I thought that Brent Venables would do nothing else. He would have that defense absolutely shutting people down. That is not what happened. We got destroyed. I say we because you know I'm an Oklahoma fan. It's where I'm from. I talk about college football because Oklahoma is the pro team. We don't have no Dallas Cowboys, right? We don't have no Houston Texans. Arkansas, Nebraska, y'all know what I'm talking about. These are our teams. So to watch them get beat down 49-0, I don't give a damn if the starting quarterback is out. That can't slide. You can't have that, especially for a guy that is a defensive guru first. And what's a defensive guru in Oklahoma? Now, it also underscored just how much Oklahoma lost with the transition from Lincoln Riley to Brent Venables. Turning over basically 100 scholarship players over the last year since he took the job. That's got to come to an end. You cannot afford to give up 40 points or more in five games. Nobody thought Kansas State was any good. And then at a night game, and I say at a night game because Lord knows Oklahoma fans wanted a night game, got absolutely wrecked by what became the backup quarterback at Kansas State, Adrian Martinez. Look, it can't happen. It's got to get fixed, okay? But if it does get fixed, I feel that good about the offense, right? So your guys that are returning in 2023, Ethan Downs, Danny Stutzman, Reggie Grimes, Billy Bowman, they have to be your dudes in 2023. They have to take it personally that they got run up on like that, like they did in 2022 in Brent Venables' first year. And you better get it right in your last year in the Big 12. Otherwise, you're never going to hear the end of it. And you're going to walk into the toughest conference in football licking your wounds, and that ain't what you want. Which leads me to the antithetical place of Oklahoma, which is Iowa football. All right. Iowa's offense should just be decent. It's all just decent. Like, we talked about it. We're going to continue to talk about it. If Kay McNamara and Eric All can get them to decent, the defense will take care of everything else. Like, this is a wild stat to me. Nine teams were held to 10 points or fewer by the Iowa Hawkeye defense. Nine. You only get 12 regular season games. They did this to nine people. And yet, we're still talking about Iowa's offense not really even having a pulse. We're talking about the offensive coordinator having his deal restructured in a way that might quell the fan base just a little bit. I've said it. I'll continue to say it. Iowa fans, send me all your hate mail. I understand how you feel. I get it. You've had what I think is the second best defense over the last two years in the sport. That's a national title caliber defense they've had at Iowa. And they might get better this year. Bill Parker's doing an outstanding job there. You just got to get it right. All right. So if they can create a pulse, we're talking about a team that challenges for the Big Ten West title, gets back into that game with an opportunity to win it this time, as opposed to getting ran over by Michigan. That's how big a deal it is for that offense to get off on the good foot. All right, 23, 24, 25. All right, I got Kansas ahead of Texas. Okay, couple reasons for this. One is Kansas knows who the starting quarterback is. 
And when Jalen Daniels was good, I was being yelled at for not talking about him as a Heisman candidate. Matter of fact, I wouldn't say yelled at. Yelled at too strong. We would have real discussions in our meetings before shows going, RJ, are we not going to talk about Jalen Daniels as a Heisman Trophy candidate? And I would be like, it's Kansas. I love Kansas. I love Lance Leipold, but it's Kansas. And they'd be like, have you seen what he's doing? Yes, I've seen what he's doing. And if you take into account basically all the games for which he was healthy, he was outstanding. He was phenomenal. We're talking about a dude that had 2,000 yards rushing, completed 66% of his passes, rushed for, uh, excuse me, 2,000 yards passing, 425 yards rushing, 18 TDs, and four INTs. Like, put another way, if Anthony Richardson had put up the kind of numbers that Jalen Daniels did, it'd be a can't-miss first-round draft pick. Not one that we got to talk ourselves into as a project. That is how far ahead Jalen Daniels is going into what I think is going to be an outstanding year for him and Kansas. And Andy Kolonicki has said it. This spring is not about getting Jalen to be the starting quarterback. It is to get him to understand the offense. So he's not doing so much Caleb Williams and Bryce Young out there where he is running around making it happen, where he has a literal command of what they are doing. Because if he reaches that upper level, where your mind, body, and soul must be one? Yeah, all right, Kansas is a problem. And I don't just mean a problem in the Big 12. I mean an absolute problem for anybody that they have to play. That is also the reason why I'm kind of looking at Texas skeptically. Because the normal rules for Texas don't apply for everybody else. If you look at Texas's talent, basically every year, but specifically over the last five years, you will absolutely be pulling your head out going, how does this team never play in a college football playoff, and not win a Big 12 championship. It's hard to say, man. They got dudes everywhere you look. It's about being able to get those dudes to play consistently great football for 12 straight games. And now we're going into another year where Steve Sarkeesian does not know who his starting quarterback is going to be in the spring. That is a tremendously big deal to me. Now, he said out loud earlier this week, Texas is going to have an open quarterback competition, to which football people like myself, like you, said, duh, because anybody's ever played football, been around football, understands football. Every job is up. Every job is up for anybody that wants to try and go take it in practice. If you demonstrate you're the dude, you're going to end up being the dude. My favorite example of this is Brandon Whedon, who I had never heard of until he got to Oklahoma State. And all of a sudden, the whispers were, hey, that dude, Brandon, he, he, he'd spin it. Like, that dude, like 30. That's an old man. That dude plays pro baseball. I'm telling you, man, that dude could spin it. And before it's over, talking about the best season Oklahoma State had ever had, and Whedon the Blackman is a thing. Now, looking at Texas and Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning, you got two former number one overall recruits at quarterback. One of those guys is one of the highest ranked recruits in rankings history, Quinn Ewers. He also got his first opportunity to start last year. Looked good. Looked, looked good. Looked good. Like bacon and egg sandwich. Looked good against Alabama. Blew up his shoulder. Came back. Didn't look like the same dude that we saw against Alabama. However, people are starting to figure out Texas too. You know, everybody else gets better. And then goes and lights up Oklahoma for what that's worth. 
Now you're talking about a true freshman quarterback whose last name is the biggest part of him as a guy that's going to compete with Quinn Ewers for the job. I've not thought that this is actually a competition, right? In the same way that I don't think that Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are in competition. I think one guy's got a year head start. I think one guy started football. I think one guy has thrown passes. I think one guy has the locker room. You're going to have to do a lot to demonstrate that you can beat out Quinn Ewers. But I know that Steve Sarkeesian needed to say this out loud, if for no other reason but to appease the Mannings. You're probably not going to let Arch go there if Steve Sarkeesian says, nah, you're going to sit no matter what. I'm just not going to blow you up for our last season in the Big 12. I need you to healthy and ready to lead us into the SEC. I still think that's the program here. But I also think this is about Steve Sarkeesian. We talk about Steve Sarkeesian the way we talk about Ryan Day, the way we talk about Lincoln Riley, which say it's quarterback dude, quarterback coach. You know, he has that moniker and he deserves it. You know, going back to Matt Leinart and them at USC. Okay. However, when Steve Sarkeesian has been the dude that we all love, some other guy has said, this is the quarterback. Make it work. If you had Bryce Young and Mac Jones on your football team, the only way you're going to play Mac Jones over Bryce Young is if Nick Saban told you to. And that's what happened. He said, Mac's the guy. Figure it out. And Steve went and figured it out with Mac Jones. Now, again, talking about how my sport, your sport, is becoming more like the NFL, Mac Jones' skill set has a hard time transferring to the NFL. Okay? Bryce Young, not so much. You could look at Mac Jones and say the Joe Burrow situation, but I think it's actually true with Mac, which is to say you got guys at every single position. You had Jalen Waddle. You had Devontae Smith. You had Najee Harris. You had dudes at every spot. All you got to do is not mess this up. Bryce Young doesn't get to say that in 2022. He's got Jameer Gibbs. Who else stepped up? Who else was a problem? There was no Jamison Williams on that football team. You get what I'm saying here? All right? I think if you are Steve Sarkeesian, you need to pick a guy. You need to pick a guy and say, I'm going to make it work. No, no more of this. I got to sit a dude or I have to figure out which guy is going to take the job because that's just not working. It hasn't worked for you in, in two years. And now you're going into this thing and you're going to have talent at tailback, but no depth at tailback. You lose B. John, John, uh, B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. That is the best player that Texas has actually produced in the last decade. And a guy that loved Texas football so much that he converted from quarterback to tailback for another head coach and stayed put as the backup tailback on your football team. That's selfless like you would not believe. And now you got to go in there with, I think it's some good dudes. Like Jaden Blute, he's going to be a problem, I think. Cedric Baxter Jr. coming out of Edgewater in Orlando had 1,395 yards rushing and 15 TDs in like 10 games. He's going to be a dude. But will he be able to catch up in a hurry? Will Keelan Robinson be able to catch up in a hurry? Until then, you need Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy to make it work. You need them to get you points that are easy, taking the top off the defense, while Jalen Ford on that defense with Pete Krakowski gets them right. I don't think this is a time to be figuring out who the quarterback is. I don't think this is a time to be splitting reps with the first team. I think this is a time to say, no, I got secretariat and I'm going to run him. Okay. That's Quinn Ewers. That's South Lake Carroll. That is the dude who was 
more or less created in a lab to be the quarterback at Texas, all right? Like, that, that's how it feels with the mullet, the grunge. I want the dude to pick up a razor, but that's just me. I'm getting to be an old man. That's how these things are starting to affect me. But I don't see why you wouldn't just go and do that. Make Quinn Ewers the guy, as opposed to having a competition, even if you are having a competition in name only. Okay, Texas Tech is here at 25, mostly because I think they're going to figure out the offensive line thing. They're asking the tackles to switch positions, which I think is going to be interesting um, because sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But what we know is the weakness on that 2022 Texas Tech team was the offensive line. Now, you return Tyler Shuck and Baron Morton, two guys that started football games for you in 2022. But that's also two guys that started football games for you in 2022. And that's without us counting Donovan Smith, who also did that, who transferred to Houston. I'm saying you couldn't keep your quarterbacks upright. Okay? 41 sacks allowed by Texas Tech in 2022. That's more than three a game. You can't have that. Your quarterback's got to know that he's protected so he can see the field and do that thing that Zach Kitley wants him to do, which is chuck it all over the yard. If they can shore up the offensive line, Texas Tech, like Kansas, can be a problem, right? It's also another way of saying Texas A&M is not here. I've been bit too many times. We're just not going to do that. We're we're just not going to do that. Texas is already here, right? And I've already told you what I need to see from Texas. But if I see it from Texas, again, there's no reason why Texas can't be the best team in the Big 12 in their last year in the Big 12. And my goodness, do Oklahoma and Texas need a good year going out in the Big 12. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks, as always, to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our assistant director is Gabe Gross. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. Our leader screening is Jack Coakley and Torin Westfall. And my goodness, our social media maven is Javion Duncan, who just stays in my text messages with all these great ideas to put out on the socials. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next week. Deuces.